People don't know what it is to be champions. Oklahoma invented it. This is the Under the Visor podcast. From the OU Insider Studios, here's your host, Brandon Drum. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another OU Insider Under the Visor podcast with myself, Brandon Drum, Colin Kennedy, and Parker Thune. We are going to dive in into a lot of Sooners talk, some interesting Sooners talk, uh, stuff that you can find for free and VIP on OUinsider.com on the 247 platform, uh, 247 sports platform, I might add. Uh, guys... So after this weekend, let's give your thoughts on, uh, before we dive into Wanye, how was your weekend? Other than <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, man, it was, it was a good weekend. Obviously I think that it was a roller coaster to say the least, but I mean, there's always silver lining. I mean, I'll, I'll lob a little ball up. I had the, OU baseball schedule floated to me a few days ago after we recorded last podcast. So okay. I'll tell you what, man, I'm pumped about that. I need college base, baseball back in my life. But uh, other than that, man, obviously we've had a lot to talk about over the past few days transpire. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. a lot of, a lot of preparation for this moment went over the weekend. I'm sure. Yeah. Parker, uh, what say you there, Mr. Tyson Ford? Gosh, okay, we'll get to that situation in detail in a bit, but Colin, I'm with you 100%. I cannot wait for OU baseball. That was a team that, before COVID-19 shut everything down last year, had very legitimate College World Series aspirations, and granted, they lose a couple guys to the MLB draft, but this is a program that Skip Johnson absolutely has headed in the right direction. I'm real excited to see where the spring and early summer takes them, so should be a lot of fun to cover that team going forward. Yeah, and I guess for me, I can say that not only was I in Dallas and driving around and doing the uh, the Texas 5A and 6A state title gig, but in the midst of all that, there was a Wanya Morris and Tyson Ford debacle uh, going on. Uh, and I guess the tight end coach uh, information, I got floated on Sunday that I totally mismanaged because of the Wanya stuff, like totally was just off on all that because I could not stay focused on anything but Wanya Morris and the the 5A and 6A titles. I mean, I was just stretched to the brink this weekend. It was crazy. Plus, uh, I saw a cousin that turned eight. And I know it sounds weird saying a cousin that turned eight, eight. So my cousin's kids turned eight, kid turned eight. And obviously my kids are close to them. 
or close to him. So we were down there celebrating that shindig all weekend as well. And it was MLK holiday weekend. So props to the uh, the man, the myth, the legend that is Martin Luther King Jr. The guy is a uh, certifiable American hero. So um, glad that we get to uh, to celebrate all that. Um, and speaking of Martin Luther King birth, birthday or Martin Luther King Jr. Day, um, that was the day that Wanya Morris decided he was going to announce that he was an Oklahoma Sooner. But that didn't come without theatrics. Let me tell you all. If you're a VIP member on OUinsider.com, um, that thing was awesome. We followed it. Not only did we dive into, and I know some want to say that, oh, well, he was going to OU all the time. That's easy to say that in hindsight, especially if you didn't say anything other than prior he was going to Oklahoma, which I've, I stated prior to it. I thought Oklahoma was a leader. But when that A&M visit happened, holy crap, did the uh, fireworks go on display and I was I, I almost said SHIT hit the fan but I didn't um, that that was wild more than wild um, A&M did everything they could to make sure that he never made it to Norman and they almost pulled it off as a matter of fact and we'll dive into this a little bit I want to give some people some some background here they were on their way to College Station to actually financial aid stuff, academic stuff, all that stuff. And Lincoln Riley, Bill Biedenboe kind of flipped the script. They turned back around to Houston, picked the mom up and headed up to Norman. So, it, I mean, that thing was almost a done deal to Texas A&M. I don't think people quite understand how close that was of it just being him being an Aggie. I mean, it was that close. And they said, look, you told us you were coming up to visit. At least give us a chance. Well, the chance was given. They drove up. Mom, obviously, was kind of not – I think she was tired of driving around, which I don't blame her after all the that travel to Houston, to College Station, and all that stuff. Dallas, because they started in Dallas where he was training in Frisco, then went down to College Station, then they went to Houston, then back to College Station, then back to Houston. So it was a lot of stuff going on in between all that. And they were tired of traveling. So they almost just wanted to get it over with. Well, Oklahoma talked him into it. They go up there. Uh, Oklahoma, he's friends with like Marquise Hayes. And then obviously there was a connection with the, a couple of family members out in, from the DC area, because I think they have like a bunch of connections out there in that DC area. And obviously Williams family is one of the connections. And that ended up being something that knowing that they're there living in Norman kind of was something that, that helped Oklahoma in the long run. I mean, that, that, that's, that legitimately helped Oklahoma in the long run. So that, that was a big deal. Um, I want to hear you guys' thoughts on all that because it was, it was wild. It was wild. Yeah, Brandon. Well, obviously you have a much better beat on everything that went on behind the scenes than either of us do. Uh, but I will say being able to pick up Morris, especially when it set, when it looked like you said for all the world, like he was headed to Texas A&M, at least for a brief minute of time, that's huge for Bill Biedenboe and Lincoln Riley, because I don't think it can be overstated how important it is 
that the Sooners figure out what their offensive line looks like heading into 21 because you got to replace two guys in Creed Humphrey and Adrian Ely that have NFL futures and were your two most reliable linemen. And I get that the Sooners have numbers in that particular group, but what they didn't have is a lot of experience. And you look at Tyrese Robinson and Marquise Hayes, two guys that came in in the class of 2017 and are the elder statesmen in that room. But for the most part, uh, you got a lot of guys that don't have a ton of reps at the collegiate level, at least in terms of uh, being starters. And you got guys like Andrew Rame and Nate Anderson and Chris Murray that are just kind of starting to scratch the surface, it would seem, their potential in a Sooner uniform. But bringing in Morris, who was a five-star recruit in 2019, has two years of experience going up against SEC front fours. That's big to be able to bring him in, add his experience, add his maturity to the room and have a guy that you know you can plug and play in that role. And is he a surefire starter? I don't know. Obviously, you can't take anything for granted in Bill Biedenboe's offensive line room because you can have a guy like a Ben Powers shoot up out of nowhere and claim a starting role over guys that you would imagine are more qualified based on the stars. So is Wanya Morris a plug-and-play starter for sure? No, not necessarily, but you know he's a guy that's been in that position before for Tennessee. He's a guy that if all else fails, you know you can stick him at that left tackle position and have a guy who's going to be able to anchor that corner of the offensive line in place. (laughs) You guys remember Scooby Carter from a while back? Yes. (laughs) Did it not eerily remind you of that situation? That was the analogy, dude, that was given to me prior to the visit. Prior to the visit. I got a text from someone down in the Texas A&M side of things saying, hey, this is going to be kind of similar to Scooby Carter. No. And I'm paraphrasing, but basically the sentiment was from the Aggie side of things, from my read, if he comes down here, it's over. So once that happened, I was kind of in the boat like everyone else. Okay, just time to move on. Look at other options in the transfer portal. But obviously Oklahoma being able to woo him back, turn the tides a little bit, especially because they were the early on favorite. That's a huge win, especially in a time where obviously the three of us well know it's not all sunshine and smiles in Sooner Nation, right? And we've had to put up with a lot of the brunt end of things. So for the staff to lock down to really go do the job that it did in landing a guy like Morris is massive. And and to Parker's point right now, it's quality over quantity when it comes to the offensive line, right? Because yes, they have all those numbers that you're talking about, but at the same time, do they have the guys to carry this team to a national title? I don't know that that's necessarily the case. Now, with Morris coming in, that might be a little bit different, but I've mentioned it before. The offensive line is still a group that I'm kind of keeping an eye on as maybe a concern heading into 2021. Because in 2020, let's just be honest, like this group wasn't necessarily consistent to begin with. And then they went out and lost Creed Humphrey and Adrian Ely, probably two of your best offensive linemen on the front five. So, Getting Morris obviously is huge. Anyone who wants to really get a sense of what he brings to the table, I did a Q&A with Pat Brown from Go Vols 247. You guys should go check that out, VIP members, or sign up and go ahead and check it out on the board. But I'll just say this. I think that when it comes to the tackle position, a position that has kind of been problematic for Oklahoma since the days of Orlando Brown Jr. and Bobby Evans, this was a massive get and addresses a serious position in need. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now there's things that have to be done for him to, uh, trying to, there's a reason why Tennessee removed him from their financial aid. 
and not something that I feel like I'm going to dive in publicly, but you know, there, there, there's hurdles to jump to make all this work out. Oklahoma's not afraid of those hurdles and they want him on campus and want him to be a sooner. Uh, things are looking good for those hurdles to be jumped and Oklahoma, uh, for lack of a better analogy, to cross that finish line and make sure everything works out. So, um, yeah, it, this was huge. You guys nailed it on the head. Massive, massive get for Oklahoma to land Wanya. And not just because of that, but I think because it's a head-to-head thing against Texas A&M that Oklahoma had seen losses the last couple of times. And, and, and people want to point to the Kendall Daniels thing as the beginning, and you're like, dude, kid tried to commit to to Oklahoma and Oklahoma told him no because he wanted to come in as a safety and they said if you're going to come here you're going to be a linebacker and the kid eventually said okay well I'll do a linebacker but Oklahoma wasn't sure that he was a fit for them at linebackers something that they they thought they could get elsewhere and they ended up doing so with Danny Stutzman so um that that I think that one was kind of the beginning of uh, I guess the, the Aggies thinking, well, they have the upper hand on Oklahoma. You had the Bryce Foster, the Connor, the Connor Strickland, uh, the, is that his name? Connor Strickland. I said that right. Remington Strickland. Remington Strickland. I knew it was wrong. Remington Strickland. I said Connor Strickland for some other reason. Connor is <laughs> Bryce Foster's <laughs> teammate. Um, dude, that was total mix up. Uh, yeah. Remington Strickland. Uh, they, they got all those. So, they were on a roll as far as beating Oklahoma in head-to-head matchups. Um, so this was huge. Massive for Oklahoma to land. Then they followed it up with not just that, but a highly sought-after transfer portal quarterback and a guy that is most likely going to come in and be the third string. He chose Oklahoma and potentially being the third string over other other programs that – he could probably go in and start with. And it's not just big because of that, but, and we're talking about Micah Bowens, a Penn State uh, quarterback transfer, uh, who's out of Bishop Gorman. Oklahoma's recruiting several guys from Bishop Gorman in 22 class, and we can touch on that in just a bit. But I thought getting those guys in back to back days was big for Oklahoma, just the psyche for everything as far as the fans go on the recruiting trail. Yeah, I think when it comes to getting Bowens, if we're talking about him as well, the, these two transfer portal additions are key in the fact that while well, one has more impact and magnitude than the other, for sure, they both address a position of need. And Oklahoma desperately needed a backup quarterback option going yes. into this offseason. And so when you look at a guy like Bowen, I was doing some research on him, and it's, what really stands out to me is he, he fits Oklahoma on three levels. He's got the mobility – he has the arm talent, but the maturity and football IQ, some of the comments that I read from James Franklin, head coach of Penn State, or Kurt Soraka, who was the former offensive coordinator at Penn State, both of them were very high on his ability to understand the game. And I think, look, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that this kid's going to have any major impact on the 2021 season, barring some sort of catastrophic event. What I will tell you is it's number one key that you have that safety blanket in case something goes wrong and you have someone you can trust. Number two, I mean, this is an opportunity for him to just get better as a player and, and as a mind. Learning from Lincoln Riley is obviously one of the best opportunities for a quarterback in all of college football. And so 
I think this is a win-win for, for each party. I mean, Bowens is probably a guy who comes in for a year or two. Maybe he decides to transfer back out after a while. Who knows? But he knows that in the event that something happens, he's probably the first guy to get a nod in the event they want to keep Caleb Williams on that red shirt. Or he, he has the opportunity to sit there for a while and better his career so that he can become a starting quarterback maybe somewhere else later down the line. I, I thought, again, being able to go out and get these two wins, being able to address needs that were very pertinent in this offseason, it, it's really a, a huge boost for this coaching staff, especially after you kind of mentioned they were getting beaten a couple of battles in the past. Yeah, you know what I'll say as far as Bowen's guys is, to me, more than anything, this is a testament to how highly quarterbacks view Lincoln Riley, how highly they value what he can bring to the table in terms of development and coaching a guy up. Because like you said, Brandon, Micah Bowens is a guy that is absolutely talented enough to go start at a group of five program or even a power five program for that matter. But instead of doing that, he chooses to come to Oklahoma where he is no better than second string, probably third string, strictly for the purpose of learning under Lincoln Riley. And Colin, as you said, he probably doesn't finish out his career at Oklahoma. He's the kind of guy that's too talented not to get an opportunity. And so if that opportunity never comes at Oklahoma, which I feel like we're in the same boat right now with Bowens as we were with Chandler Morris, tremendously talented guy. There's just not really a viable path to playing time for him at Oklahoma simply because they've got that much depth in the quarterback room with guys that are elite at their position. And so Bowens comes in as a third-string guy. He gives Oklahoma now three quarterbacks who absolutely have the ceiling and the capability to start, if need be. And he gets the opportunity to learn for a year or two under Lincoln Riley, take his talents elsewhere, and give himself a shot to play in the NFL. And I think it can't, it can't be stated enough how well Lincoln Riley I would say how highly Lincoln Riley is viewed in the public eye by quarterbacks, families of quarterbacks, people who mm-hmm. understand what an NFL signal, signal caller needs to look like. That's why Micah Bowens came. It's not to contend for the starting job. That can't be the expectation for him at this point, quite honestly. And again, it has nothing to do with his own level of talent. But he, this is a guy that knows that long-term – a year or two under Lincoln Riley, a year or two in Oklahoma's system, a year or two to learn everything that he can absorb from Lincoln Riley's quarterback room is going to be beneficial for him more so than maybe an extra year of starting experience at a university that doesn't offer such a phenomenal opportunity for a young budding quarterback as the University of Oklahoma. And, and let me add something to this too. I mean, when, when you look at the transfer portal right now, and the number of kids that are in it, I mean, you better stand out, right? Because it feels like there are thousands of kids in the portal right now, and there's nowhere to go. But, I mean, right. the proof is in the pudding if you're a quarterback transfer. Look at this. I mean, Chandler Morris is at TCU. Tanner Mordecai is at SMU. Both those guys are going to have an opportunity to compete for those jobs down the line. Like, if you're a transfer and you don't have nowhere to go and you have the opportunity to go to Lincoln Riley – not only do you know you're going to learn the knowledge that's needed, but you're going to have an opportunity down the line. Like it's going to be there simply because you learned from Riley. Whereas some of the other quarterback coaches in all of college football probably aren't going to help you land that job later down the line outside of OU. You know what I'm saying? So 
again, this is just another reason why Lincoln Riley and transfer quarterbacks, it all makes a ton of sense. And Colin, you can throw Austin Kendall in there along with Chandler Morris and Tanner Mordecai. There's three yeah. guys that have legitimate power five or not, I guess not power five, but legitimate FBS starting opportunities elsewhere after taking time to learn under Lincoln Riley. Yep. Okay. So do we know where Austin Kendall's transferring to from West Virginia? Has that been established yet? Because I haven't paid attention. I haven't looked recently, but I mean, I'd assume it'd be like the Mac or something. Who knows? <laughs> Let's get Austin Kendall Maction on a Tuesday. I'd yeah, you remember the talk over Austin Kendall being as good as Kyler Murray at one point? Like there were yeah, actually that. fans that that actually believed the words that were coming out of the, their mouth when they said that. I laughed and continue to laugh. Anyways, um, yeah, so. What, what it's, Micah Bowens is is a freshman again, right? He's he's essentially a freshman all over again. Yeah, I mean, he was a true freshman last year at Penn State. Yeah. And obviously with all the eligibility stuff going on, there's a real opportunity for him to, who knows, maybe even redshirt if he wants to. Doesn't have to get that, out. There. I mean, that's wild. Just wild that he's going to be the same. same. And then they ended up adding uh, the, the walk-on um, – I just went blank on the walk on Carl Albert. Yeah. Well, they got, yeah, well, yes, they got Harris from Carl, Carl Albert, uh, to walk on. And they also ended up with, um, I'm looking it up right now. As you can see, they ended up with, um, Ralph Rucker, Ralph Rucker. And Ralph Rucker is from, Lucas, yeah, Lovejoy, Lucas, 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 Texas, Lovejoy High School in Lucas, Texas. Uh, he's also a baseball player, so I'm wondering if that's going to be something that is talked about, maybe giving him a potential scholarship or opportunity to play with Skip Johnson and the baseball team as well, um, because it looks like he's he's a pretty good baseball player on top of being a pretty good uh, football player. Can um, I throw one thing in here, Brandon, before we yeah, wrap yeah, up yeah, go ahead. Owens? Is going back to what Colin was just mentioning about how he was a true freshman this past year. That 2020 season doesn't count towards his eligibility. So say he comes in, red shirts a year, then transfers again. He's got four, four full years of eligibility to take elsewhere and a year under Lincoln Riley. Yep, I mean, if exactly. you're a guy that just signed in the class of 2020, and you just played a season that does not count against your eligibility. Why not transfer to Oklahoma? Because it literally costs that, you nothing. That that that's what uh, was sold to him was the opportunity to learn under Riley. He, I think, he obviously knows he's not going to come in. Uh, look, Caleb Williams is on campus. Caleb Williams is going to be getting. Uh, so he's taking full classes with Gonzaga, and he's taking full classes at Oklahoma. In the meantime, he is being able to do. Uh, the allotted time for training. So when other guys are doing, the team is doing their uh, team workouts and their film sessions together in the QB rooms and stuff like that, there's a pretty good chance that Caleb's going to have to be doing classes because he's taking those two classes, taking high school and college. So there's a, there's a thing they're working to be able to get the allotted time that I think they're allowed four hours a week. Uh, with the players, am I correct? As far as the coaches, one on one now, is that is that how it is? Is is it two or four hours a week? I, f- I want to say it's four. From I want to say it's four, right during the off season, and then spring yeah. it can up, be up to eight because they can well, do practice, right? Yeah. Film and practice. 
they double it. So um, during the offseason, he's got four hours a week he can be sitting in there. One-on-one with Riley, potentially, is how it was posed to me. And he gets to also do one-on-one with Benny Wiley because he's not going to be able to do all the other stuff. Now, when spring rolls around, they're going to adjust his schedule so that and they, just like they adjust everybody on the team's schedule to be able to fit around the practices. So if they have a, uh, a class during the practice time, they obviously switch it and they'll go to another class during that time. So there's a lot of juggling that goes around and scheduling for everybody. But for Caleb, it's going to be a lot of one-on-one stuff. Does anybody actually believe that with all that one-on-one time and with all those and in, in, in the QB room and the weight room and all that stuff. And mind you, Caleb's been doing three, three a days while he's been back home, three a days, training, lifting, running. Does anybody think that he's not going to be the second string quarterback? No. Is it, is it, that man is that, a machine. At least the second string. I mean, he's coming in with the mindset of if, is competing for the starting job with Spencer Rattler. Like he has not sold himself short. He, he knows how good Spencer was. Doesn't care. That's how competitive this kid is. He's a leader. And, and to have both those guys on campus at the same time, along with a Micah Bowens, has there been a better trio since 2017? Let's circle back. 2018. 2017. Kyler Murray, Kyler Murray versus Austin Kendall. Not a competition. Lincoln Riley sold that as a competition. It yeah. never was. 2021 will definitely be a competition. In fact, probably yes. the best quarterback competition that you've seen at Oklahoma since Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray were on the same roster. Correct. Yes. This, this, oh, and by the way, uh, looks like, and I knew this was a potential, uh, the Oklahoma has been watching this kid's film. Derek Brown from Texarkana just picked up 2022 defensive end, just picked up an offer from Oklahoma. How about that? Stud. That was, that's, that, that was, that was, that was on the verge of happening for like the last two weeks, and it finally did. Um, that's a good. I'm proud of that kid. He's a good player, man. Very good player. He actually took the visit up with uh, uh, Clayton to the Baylor game, if I remember correctly. So uh, that, that that's something that I could see flipping around and having a commitment fairly quickly if things pan out right for Oklahoma um, and and Jamar Kane. Um, We'll move on to, and I know we just kind of segued over to a random talk topic about <laughs> Derek Brown getting it off for, um, uh, done with the quarterbacks, but the other backfield position is running back. Um, and that situation is kind of up in the air for what people think should happen. Now I want to get you guys opinion on what you think should happen. Should Oklahoma press for, uh, Mark Anthony Richards or Zach Charbonnet, should they press for them? Because they had a very good chance. I know for a fact from talking to Kevin Marks, the Buffalo transfer, he put himself back, pulled himself back out of the transfer portal, went back to Buffalo. He wanted, wanted to be a Sooner. Wanted to be a Sooner. Told me that. So as far as how you guys view it, and I'll get, we'll, we'll dive into what I know is the situation, but I want your opinion before I dive in. So you guys go first. What do you think Oklahoma should do? Should they sit on it, be good with Mikey Henderson at running back, Marcus Major, Seth McGowan, 
Kennedy Brooks, or should they add another additional running back in the 2021 class? How do y'all think it should be play out? Parker, we'll go with you first. I mean, there are a thousand different opinions circulating on our VIP board as to what Oklahoma should do here. Yeah. And suffice it to say that one way or another, Kennedy Brooks is the lead guy in 2021. Kennedy Brooks is the guy that will be getting the majority of the carries. Everyone else will simply be a handcuff or a change of pace back to Kennedy Brooks. He's a guy that's rushed for a thousand yards in two consecutive seasons before sitting out 2020. And he will not have lost a step. I can promise you folks that when he comes back in 2021, he will be the chief piece in that backfield for Oklahoma. But my honest opinion, Brandon, no, I really don't think Oklahoma should go to the transfer portal and get a running back. Would it be an awesome depth addition? Sure. And would it be great for the morale among the fan base? Of course. But here's the thing. With what we saw Mikey Henderson do in extremely limited action in 2020, that guy needs to be on the field as much as possible. And the issue is he's already got three guys ahead of him in the EH back room, Austin Stogner, Jeremiah Hall, Braden Willis, and the Sooners got three capable guys in the running back room in McGowan and Major and Kennedy Brooks. So Henderson's already going to have to fight mm -hmm. tooth and nail for touches in 2021. What I don't want, based on what I saw from Henderson in 2020, I don't want to bring in another guy that's going to compete for touches and potentially take opportunities away from Henderson because he averaged double-digit yards per touch. Double-digit yards. Every single time that guy had the ball in his hands, he made a big play. And I'm so high on him and have been for months, ever since I saw him in that Missouri State game. I think he can add so much to this offense. It's just a matter of how you utilize him with all the other weapons in the scheme, both in the backfield and among the H-backs. So I think it's probably too much of a good thing, to be honest, if you bring in another guy that could diminish Mikey Henderson's role in this offense. Yeah, I mean, I... I all the points brought up there are exactly what I'm thinking. I mean, you have a number of guys in that H-back room right now. They're kind of drowning out Henderson's abilities, and there are three able bodies in the running back room. So it's like, why, why at this point do you really need to go out and get somebody when you know you have a fourth capable option who has proven to be a playmaker? And you also look at, I mean, Mark Anthony Richards dealt with some good amount of injuries at Auburn. I mean, there are, there are running backs in the portal, yes, who could contribute, but a transfer isn't always proven, right? Typically, they're transferring because of something that's happened in their past. My other thing, too, is, I mean, you look at this, it's like, if you have a scholarship spot, why go get a running back when we know there are other positions of need on this roster right now? And I mean, I think, though, you coaches kind of know that, too, right? I mean... Yeah, it would be great to add another playmaker, but I don't know how many times I'm going to say it. Kennedy Brooks is a guy who makes eight yards look like four. Seth McGowan has a bunch of ability. As long as he continues to develop, I think he's a stud. And Marcus Major, that guy really showed me up in that Cotton Bowl game. Hadn't necessarily met expectations basically all year long until he basically goes all over the field against the Gators. So it's like you have the inventory to get the job done at the position, but there are other areas on this roster, a roster capable of contending, for a national championship that you can fix with that scholarship spot that you would have otherwise used on one of those running back names that we're mentioning. So for me, I'm in the same boat as Parker and a lot of OU fans were in a similar mindset. I just don't see it being a reasonable option right now. Yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm with you. And I like the fact that I think Oklahoma is going to sit 
and not at a running back. And I know people are going to go, well, you know, probably disagree with us here. And that's fine. That's fine. Um, the, Mikey Henderson moving to running back was probably one of the best things that I think the staff could have decided to do. Um, we saw when he carried the ball how big of a playmaker he was. He sees he sees the field really well. He slides through the holes quickly. He has good feet inside the holes. And he also has vision that can't be taught like that. That The vision, the feel uh, for running the football is it's, it's innate. It is either you have it or you don't. And he has it. And I think he's just special when he has the ball in his hands. And so if you're going to give him a chance to touch the ball 10, 15 times a game, whether it's out of the backfield or running the ball because he's at the running back position, and it also allows him to still potentially play at the H-back spot some as well because you know he's going to. Um, the, the Oklahoma doesn't pigeonhole people to any real position. Look at Joe Mixon. He split out wide all the time. Uh, when he was at Oklahoma. So when he was a running back, this this isn't the first time, this isn't the last time they're going to use guys like this. Um, and I expect Mikey to be a big-time contributor in the 2021 season. So I love it. I don't know that adding Charbonnet is, a, is going to change a whole hell of a lot for Oklahoma, whether they win the national title or not. I don't know that adding a Mark Anthony Bryant or Rod, Richards is going to Mark Anthony Richards from Auburn is going to change that. Now I thought Kevin Marks was a guy that could potentially change that. You're talking about a guy that has 2,700 yards, 2,700 yards rushing in two and a half seasons at, at uh, Buffalo. The guy showed he was a baller of epic, epic proportions. And I was shocked that he didn't get the big looks that he thought he was going to get. Um, so I guess we'll see how his season plays out because I could see him rounding back, back into the portal after this next year because he really wants to prove that he's a P5 guy and not a G5 guy. But sticking with Oklahoma, I just don't see adding a running back being something. And, and there's people that disagree and think that Kennedy Brooks isn't a national title winning running back. There's people that think Seth McGowan and Marcus Major aren't. But what we saw growth-wise throughout the year, I think they can be. I mean, is that a stretch to think that? No. No, not at all. Okay. I mean, so we all agree that they don't need to add another running back. Four is enough right now. And if they need to, they can move Darby over in a pinch if they have to in an emergency as well. And they have some decent walk-ons as well at Oklahoma. So I don't think uh, another running back is needed. I agree with you all wholeheartedly there. Um, As far as – so Oklahoma came into this transfer season, and it really – really is it's like free agent season but in college football the transfer season the portal season thinking they wanted to take at least two offensive linemen well there's another name floating out there and robert congle from arizona he's a center he started for the last two seasons for arizona at center uh and has been a very good player for the arizona wildcats everybody was thinking Memphis is going to be where he's going to go because his quarterback, Grant Gunnell, transferred to Memphis. They're very good friends. But right now, the buzz seems to be with Oklahoma. Colin Parker, where do you, what are you guys hearing? I'll, I'll follow you guys up. What are you guys hearing as far as Congo goes? Yeah, I, I think obviously in the same sentiment, this was a guy that maybe wasn't an automatic OU lean, but as the Sooners have identified the board, things have started to shift 
And I think it's, I think it's an honestly solid move if it can happen. Now, I, I, I understand there's going to be a lot of buzz regarding, okay, well, what about Andrew Rame or Chris Murray, guys in the interior who are kind of waiting for that opportunity. But at the same time, it's, it's now or never. Right. I mean, this is the opportunity, the window for Oklahoma to go win a championship. So if you have a chance to go pursue a guy who's played in the power five, who has started at a position of need and who's going to boost you automatically instead of maybe someone who's a little bit more newer to the division one level, then I say go for it. So I think Oklahoma's in a really good position here. I like the read here in terms of identifying him as a prospect that could come in. But we'll see if they're able to pull it off. If they are, though, I think this would be a huge puzzle piece added to the mix. And I think, again, as Oklahoma tries to rebuild that offensive line, making this push with Spencer Rattler in the backfield, getting a guy at, like, center, I just feel like a veteran there is something that, if you are able to add it, really elevates you into that top-two conversation. You were talking about positions of need, Colin. Yep. Center is a position of need. It very much is. And we don't want to act like it is because, yeah, the Sooners have Chris Murray, who has experience starting at center for UCLA, but it will have been three years once the 2021 season rolls around since he snapped the football. Andrew Rain, I get that the coaching staff is high on him. There's a lot of buzz surrounding that guy, but he's unproven. You don't know what he can bring at the collegiate level. Bringing in a guy like Robert Congo, who, by the way, has never had anything handed to him. He was unranked as a high school prospect, spent a year at Texas A&M, saw action in five games before transferring to Arizona, and eventually worked his way into a starting role there. He has had to fight for every single opportunity that he's been given at the football on the football field at the collegiate level. And so bringing in a guy that has experience, has that grittiness, has the competitive edge to be able to potentially beat out a guy who's maybe a little bit more physically gifted than him or carries more hype, that can only be a good thing in that offensive line room. And again, it goes back to the same conversation that we were having with Wanye Morris. You bring in a guy whom you know can do the job. If you don't have a better option, you know that you can stick Robert Congo at the center position and he can do the job because he's done it at the power five level for multiple seasons with a program that has run the ball pretty effectively. And think about this. DeMarco Murray has familiarity with Congo because he spent 2019 on the Arizona staff. So you've got a connection there and Congo would come in as one of the elder statesmen in that offensive line room alongside Tyrese Robinson, Marquise Hayes, he brings a lot more experience to the table than the Sooners in general have across the board. And so, yeah, I mean, we're, we're talking about the running back room. That's the one that everybody wants to talk about, you know, bringing in an extra guy to potentially augment Brooks and McGowan and major, but you look at that offensive line and especially at center, that is one position where there is a much more immediate, more pressing need. And it is one that needs to be addressed before we start talking about any of the skill positions, because we know in a Lincoln Riley offense, they're going to get theirs. Right, You're going to see solid production from a Lincoln-Riley offense. But as we saw in 2020, it has to start up front. It has got to start with the offensive line. And if the offensive line struggles, the team itself will struggle. The skill position players can't get going if the offensive line is shaky. And so adding a guy with experience, with maturity, who's been in those situations before and who has gone up against Power 5 defensive linemen can only be a good thing for the Sooners. 
Yeah, no, I mean, he he played what he started at Texas A&M, ironically. So it's kind of kind of funny with how all that all this has played out. So 2017, he was at Texas A&M. Um, he played in five games for the Aggies as a backup offensive guard. Uh, he saw times in games against Arkansas, South Carolina, Mississippi State. Uh, and he also graduated from IMG Academy, which is going to help Oklahoma as far as getting it in there. So I think this is kind of twofold. Uh, not only are you getting a guy with experience, a guy that started eight games for uh, Arizona during the 2019 season and started all five games uh, that Arizona played during the 2020 season, which is weird to say all five games during the 2020 season, but thanks COVID. Um, the guy has experience. The guy has played not only in the SEC, he's played in the Pac-12, and he comes from not only those two programs, but at IMG Academy where you know he got to learn the ropes of what college is going to be like during the during his high school years and, and being able to play and beat out and start over some pretty good players uh, that he probably had to compete against to get that starting position at IMG. So um, this guy is going to be able to be a leader. Obviously, he's going to compete with Chris Murray, Andrew Rame, uh, McIver at uh, the center position. Uh, and I know people think that Andrew Rame has Sunday – potential they think that Chris Murray has Sunday potential but it, it kind of reminds me of the Chris Wren situation you remember that where Chris Wren was was pushed by um, Creed Humphrey during Creed's freshman year but they stuck with with Wren because of his leadership and his strength and his ability to to, to calm the offense at times players with with experience like Chris Wren can go a long ways. They may not be the most athletic. They may not be the best offensive lineman on the team, but that mental aspect of it, that the attitude, that the ease, the 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 confidence, and and just the collective kind of sigh of relief that the rest of the offensive line has whenever you know somebody's going to make those right calls at the center position and put you in the right position to be successful at your position on the offensive line that goes a long way. So getting a guy like him, if, if that does happen now, we're not saying it's going to, I crystal ball him to Oklahoma. It looks like Jason Shear from Arizona has as well. The Arizona two, four, seven site. So uh, getting a guy like uh, Robert Congo, I think would be big. And I think it would fill not just a need because if he doesn't start at center, he's going to be in the rotation, at least position himself to potentially be a starter at one of the guard positions as well. So he has a lot of experience at the guard and center position. And that, to me, I think that's that's something that you just can't replace, especially with a guy that's been around for as long as he has. There is that sense of leadership that I think when you're looking to win a national title, you need, and you need that at all positions, mostly at the offensive line and quarterback position, because I think that's where it all begins. Um, any other thoughts on him? No, we're good, huh? Okay. <laughs> um, we'll, we'll move on to another another big story that dropped. This has been a big story weekend on OU Insider. I mean, we have had record traffic because of it. We've had a lot of additional subs being added to the site because of this, and it's been fun. And I've enjoyed Oklahoma fans, and I know uh, Parker and Colin have as well. The Oklahoma Sooners fans have been out and about on OU Insider it's been busy and it's been fun and it's kept us busy and on our toes as well. Uh, but uh, Oklahoma hired 
alum and former NFL tight end, uh, Joe John Finley, as their new tight end coach. And you're talking about a guy that I think he played five years in the NFL. Um, he played at, it looks like, San Francisco 49ers from 2008 to 2010, Detroit Lions 2010 to 11, and Carolina Panthers in 2012. He got his first coaching job uh, in Los Fresnos, Texas High School in 2011 before he was at Oklahoma for a uh, being an gr- uh, offensive grad assistant under Bob Stoops. And then he was hired at uh, Missouri as a tight end coach from 2016 to 2018. Um, and then Texas A&M 2019, Ole Miss in 2020. So this guy kind of has some – he's got some depth to him. And I don't know who all – have you all looked at his 247 profile to see what, what he uh, – who all he has signed as a, uh, as a coach at all? Mm-mm. No? Me neither. Um, I thought maybe um, – well, I can tell you right now, he signed Braylon Baylor Cup at Texas A&M, Antonio Johnson at Texas A&M, who were both four stars. Antonio Doyle, he beat out Oklahoma for Antonio Doyle at Texas I, A&M. I remember if he was at Texas A&M, he had Southlake ties to the Blake Smith recruitment, if I remember and correctly. He right. did sign Blake Smith. Okay, so – Correct. Because it was when he was hired, I got a couple of texts being like, "Hey, I mean, this guy adds some Texas high school flavor." And I was like, "Yeah, I mean, he played in the state." But I also remember that the, now that you're bringing it up, like he had a a big hand in pursuing Smith out of South Lake Carroll, and they have a prospect on that roster who I like a lot. So I mean, th- this guy has recruiting ties, and he's proven as a recruiter. So I, I think this is a really big addition. Well, in terms of on-field and off-field production. There's a tight end at Dickinson right now that's pretty good. Um, yeah, but. <laughs> I, I know. Well, I, I know he's going to a and But here, here's the deal. I didn't say this because maybe Joe John Finley can get back in there. He did sign Jalen Wiedemeyer from uh, Dickinson, Texas. Yeah. Who was a tight end. I don't know what year Wiedemeyer was there, but 2019. So that wasn't too long ago. Of course, he – where did the guy go? Texas A&M. <laughs> so, I mean, the Dickinson connection continues to the Aggies, uh, and it's going to this time as well. So my point is is that he looks like he's a pretty good recruiter from everything that he's pulled in. Uh, Parker, what is your thoughts on this hire of Joe John Finley? Well, I think it's a slam dunk in a couple of ways. One, you bring in a guy – that is a Sooner through and through, right? That has familiarity with the program, that played at Oklahoma, that was a grad assistant at Oklahoma, that is going to bring that fire and that fervor for the Oklahoma Sooners brand to the coaching staff. And in addition, this is not just a familiarity hire, right? We're not just talking about like a Scott Frost at Nebraska type of thing. We're talking about a guy that has had a hand in – some of the most prolific offenses in college football over the last couple of years. You look at Ole Miss this last season, for instance, with Matt Corral at the helm, they were the third most prolific passing offense in the country. Mm-hmm. And that's due in no small part to the influence of Joe John Finley. And so I, I really like the hire because on one level, let's consider this, Lincoln Riley just continues to stack his staff with young guys, guys that he can plant in Norman 
And unless they get an offer that they just can't turn down, they're not going anywhere for at least a few years. And they bring that vigor, uh, that youthful flavor to the recruiting game and to the sidelines uh, in terms of their coaching. You saw it with DeMarco Murray. You saw it with Jamar Kane. Alex Grinch is only 41 years old. Pretty much everybody on this staff, and it starts with Riley himself, who's still among the youngest head coaches in the FBS, everybody's a pretty young dude. And so that gives you a lot of optimism for the Sooners coaching staff going forward. If they're able to keep everybody together as to what this all might look like in terms of the recruiting ship and what they're able to produce on the field for five, six years down the road. Because if you can keep that coaching staff together and you can build that chemistry and your guys can gel in the locker room and out on the field, you've got the makings of a championship team. And Oklahoma's already got the first few puzzle pieces in place in that regard. They're not far off. And so I think Joe John Finley is a guy that makes a lot of sense for this hire. And he's proven as a recruiter. He's proven as a coach. And again, I love the fact that Lincoln Riley brought back a former Sooner to fill this role because that can only be a good thing for this program. Yeah, and I think, look, I I look at this – The other thing you mentioned about being young is a huge aspect of recruiting right now is relatability. I mean, can these kids connect with you? Can you form bonds with them that go beyond the game of football? And I think Oklahoma staff has done a really good job of that. That hasn't always paid off. But, like, I mean, we bring up Donovan Green. Okay, Donovan Green, Texas A&M is the leader. He is not committed there, but something could change. (laughs) It's, It's a high mountain to climb. But uh, even, very high mountain to climb. Yeah, I'm. I'm just saying, like nothing's formally announced, so we don't want to rain on anybody's parade. But at the right. same time, Donovan Green, I well, I will tell you, it's a far, far long shot. You, you mentioned R.J. Maryland at South Lake Carroll. Uh, yeah, you I know, think I was joking. You know, I was joking about the Green thing, by the way. Yeah, you know I mean, it, there, there are. <laughs> well, there are tight ends right now. Here's how I'll say this: There are tight ends in in the 2022 class who have their leaders currently. Joe John Finley, especially because of what he brings from a relatability youth and regional standpoint, you talk about Texas A&M, Missouri, Ole Miss, kind of this South Central area, he's going to be able to get you into some battles, even if you were on the outside looking in. I can't tell you a whole bunch of names right now because, again, he's going to have to start establishing his presence in those races. But if you are going to go get a guy at this tight end position, you needed somebody who is going to be able – to form those bonds like a one Shane Beamer. And Shane Beamer is pretty irreplaceable when it comes to making human connections. But I think mm-hmm. Joe John Finley, when we talk about not just the youth and the experience from a coaching perspective, but the relatability and connections to this area, I think this is another reason why it was just a really great hire on Lincoln Riley's part. Okay, so you're talking you, – you, you kind of hit you, – you, you vaguely touched on what I wanted to touch on with this hire. First off, first and foremost – Big time hire, in my opinion. When I talk to people that have spoken with him, uh, that know him, and I, I've crossed paths with him just just because he's been at like you know a school that I was just covering at the time, you know, and he's a good guy, nice guy. Um, but from a relatability, like you said, uh, he already called like instantly from everything I knew, like this before it even was made public. He had already called all the HBACs and tight ends and talked to them. So, I mean, it was 
he knows what he's doing. He is very good about it. And from everything that I've heard from people that have coached underneath him, coached with him, and have uh, been coached by him, he's beloved by everybody. It seems like he's an everyman person. And I think that's something that Riley looks for. And as long as you're a relatable human being, I think you're going to fit in on this OU staff and you're going to be a good recruiter with that OU logo across your chest whenever you walk into a facility or you pick up the phone or get on a Zoom call with the kid. Uh, then you add, the, like you said, the relatability as a person, and that goes a long ways. Um, you touched on the region, Colin, and I want, I want to I talk about the, the big names that he signed during his short career at Texas A&M, Missouri, and Ole Miss, okay? The guy is 36 years old, so he's a young coach, a young coach. His average rating uh, is 90.3. He's already got two commits at Ole Miss. Um, I don't know who they are because it won't let me pull it up, but um, – Let's just say, so he's got Baylor Cup from Texas. Listen to how many guys he has from the uh, – he's got two signees from St. Louis. So you know he has St. Louis ties. He got it from East St. Louis and Lutheran North, who just so happen to be the two most prevalent programs in the St. Louis area. Not a bad thing to have is another guy with ties into there. Um he obviously has Texas ties, being that his dad was a high school coach in Texas. He played in high school football. He coached at Texas A&M. And the other place that he's recruited heavily at, Tennessee. Oklahoma's been digging themselves themselves into that Tennessee region for the last couple of years. To add another guy outside of Dennis Simmons that has a nice Tennessee uh, connection, I think is huge because especially while Tennessee's down, Go ahead and keep raiding that area because right now with them being on probation, it's, it's for the taking. That state is for the taking, whether you're Alabama, Oklahoma, Arkansas, Clemson. I mean, you name it, Auburn. I'm trying to think of other programs out there. North Carolina, they're coming in there raiding that state, a state that usually has a good 50 guys that can play at the high P5 level every year. That's not bad to have those type of connections. And obviously at Ole Miss, he's going to have Mississippi, Alabama, and LSU. And obviously being at Texas A&M, he's going to have Louisiana. I said LSU. Louisiana connections. So there's a lot of things that he can touch on. And he can help Oklahoma get into that southeastern, south-central region that they've been trying to keep digging further and further into to help themselves get over that hump as far as getting those defensive line guys, those often those trench guys that they've been wanting to get those good athletes on the backside of the defense and the defensive back that they've been struggling. He signed some of those guys while he's been at Texas A&M and Missouri. So I think this is a big hire. I, mean, I don't think Oklahoma could have done much better than they did. And uh, being that he loves the university, you know, he's going to put his whole heart into it as well. So uh, you got to give kudos to Riley on this job, on this, on this hire. And uh, I don't think they could have done any better. What, what, if you were if you were Joe John Finley, what would be your first goal outside of you know making sure Austin Stogner and uh, Braylon Willis are happy? What would be your first goal? Man, Parker, you have one, or you want me to jump in here? You go ahead. Okay, I, I think the first goal for me, if I'm Joe John Finley, you mentioned he made all the calls, all that stuff, right? My first goal 
now that I'm entering this staff is I want to prove to the roster why I'm here. Mm -hmm. I think it's one thing to just talk to them, right? But like you have to go ahead and show what can you contribute to this storied offensive system, right? And and I think we know what he's going to bring to the table from a recruiting perspective. We understand what he has in terms of ties. But Joe John Finley also has been a, a massive beneficiary of being at some pretty noteworthy programs. And now that you are, are able to take all that knowledge and, and combine it, how do you add it now that Oklahoma is going into a season with Lincoln Riley and Spencer Rattler hoping to contend for a title, but also struggling because a lot of people are starting to get really familiar with this system. And so if you're going to go on a national championship run, I would hope that Finley, now that he's arrived on campus, has the opportunity to go into these meetings and say, guys, I know this is how you've been doing it for a while, but here's what I feel like I can bring to the table and how we can expand this offensive system. And if he's able to do that in the short amount of time and add it very early in the offseason process, then maybe Oklahoma builds another layer to what they can bring to the table offensively. And that makes this group even more dangerous when it comes to the 2021 college football playoff. Run. I would say the biggest thing for me, if I'm Joe John Finley stepping into an H back room that has a ton of talent, one priority. Number one in my eyes has to be help Austin Stogner realize the full extent of his potential, because that guy, when he is fully healthy, is absolutely perhaps the most dangerous weapon in Oklahoma's entire offense. He brings that much to the table in terms of his athleticism, in terms of his ability to go up and get contested balls, in terms of his ability to make plays in space. And I know, right, I've been pounding the table and saying Austin Stogner, Austin Stogner, Austin Stogner for like a year and a half now. That's how much I believe in this guy and what he can bring to the Oklahoma offense if and when he is fully healthy. And we saw flashes of it this season before he got unfortunately injured in that Kansas game. But for Mm -hmm. me, if I'm Joe John Finley, my first priority with this H-back room is getting in the film room with Austin Stogner and making sure he is aware of every single little thing he needs to be doing that he currently isn't doing or every single little thing that he could be doing just a little bit better in order to fully unlock his potential in the Oklahoma offense and become the most dangerous tight end that Oklahoma has seen at that position since Mark Andrews. I say tight end, H-back, you know, they're virtually interchangeable. But I am so high on Austin Stogner's ability, and I think he can add so much to this offense. I think he can add a dimension that we haven't even seen yet. And for me, if I'm Joe John Finley, that's got to be where it begins. No, I'm with you. I think both of you guys hit uh, very, very good points. Uh, for me, it's, you know, pinpoint that 2022 uh, tight end that you want to go after. Pinpoint that guy that you want to find uh, maybe in a transfer portal at some point or – you know, kind of have a short list of guys, like if they hit the portal, like you would go after type of deal um, or, or Juco guys, because there's a good chance that after the 2021 season, Oklahoma may not have a tight end or H-back because they moved Mikey Anderson over. I mean, that that is a – that's not out of the realm of possibilities if if Jeremiah Hall decides – because oh, what is he? He's a senior again this year, right? And so he's he'll be out. 
Uh, Not necessarily. He would have another year if he wanted it. He was a redshirt junior this past year. Yeah, that I mean, yeah. So I mean, maybe he decides to transfer, you know, because he's not getting as much playing time as he he wanted. Um, maybe Braden Willis and Austin Stogner dip out as well. What well, pro going to the NFL? Um, there, th- those those aren't out of the realm of possibilities. So for me, it's pinpoint those one or two guys at the tight end spot that you want to go after H back spot and 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 attack. And try to land those guys, um, because I think the future is going to decide whether this is a good hire more so than 2021 longevity. Um, we all think it's a great hire, but if he doesn't recruit guys to fill in for the studs that he already has on campus, then things are not going to be looking too hot on that hire. Does that make sense? Yes. No, I think you're right. So, um, speaking of not looking too good, um, <laughs> there there was a uh, a commitment silently that ended up not going the Oklahoma Sooners' way uh, this past week. With all the good news that happened with Micah Bowens, with Wanya Morris, with potentially Robert Congle, and we'll touch on this here in a second. We'll touch on Big Cat at final and, and close it out after with potentially Big Cat, uh, Bryant, Auburn, defensive end transfer, maybe going Oklahoma's direction. There's a Tyson Ford situation where a top 150 player in the 2022 class out of St. Louis looked like it was all but an Oklahoma Sooner deal. And last, the 11th hour, he decided he was a Notre Dame guy. He was a fighting Irish guy. And... um, Nobody will have a better handle on the situation than our guy, Parker Thune. Parker, walk us through what in the hell happened. Here's the deal, Brandon. If Tyson Ford's commitment date is two weeks earlier, Oklahoma gets him. Because Tyson Ford told me for the longest time, I'm committing on January 18th. I'm not going to change my mind after that. That's when I want to have it done. It's a wrap on January 18th. Now... What happened was, over the last month or so, right, Clark Lee, former Notre Dame defensive coordinator, took the head coaching job at Vanderbilt, left that D.C. position at Notre Dame in flux for a moment. Notre Dame, on January 8th, brought in Marcus Freeman, 35-year-old former Ohio State linebacker who had a brief stint in the NFL, did phenomenal things as defensive coordinator of the Cincinnati Bearcats, helped them score a peach bowl berth in 2020 where they were just edged out by the Georgia Bulldogs, but a tremendous season for Cincinnati. And that's due in no small part to the influence of Marcus Freeman, who is a tremendous recruiter in his own right. Now I spoke with Tyson Ford in early January. It looked for all the world guys like he was going to go to Oklahoma. And in fact, not long after we talked, he silent committed to Oklahoma because at the time, There was no clear answer as to who was going to fill that defensive coordinator role at Notre Dame. And with that in mind, he'd narrowed his final four to Oklahoma, Notre Dame, Missouri, and Georgia. Georgia was never really a serious consideration. I think proximity has a lot to do with that. And the Missouri, uh, like like I said for weeks regarding Ford, I think that was more of a token nod to the program that he grew up rooting for, the hometown school. But that's just not a school that right now has enough prestige to warrant a legitimate pitch to a guy like Ford. So it was Oklahoma and Notre Dame. 
that's what it was going to come down to. That's what I knew for the longest time that it was going to come down to with this guy. And as much as he valued Oklahoma, and I said this on the VIP board, and I'll say it again, as much as he valued Oklahoma, his relationships with the coaching staffs there, I think based on the totality of the conversations that I had with him over a period of months, the sense that I got was that he was looking for a reason to go to Notre Dame. He just didn't have a solid one, especially after Lee left and they didn't have a defensive coordinator for a brief moment in time. There was no clear, solidified reason for Tyson Ford to choose Notre Dame over Oklahoma, but you could just kind of tell. I could tell talking to the guy and kind of getting his feelings on each of those schools that Notre Dame was where his heart lay. But at the same time, he's a guy that was intelligent enough. Uh, you know, he's a guy that has an NFL future if he wants it one day and wants to continue developing to a point where he's able to play in the National Football League and also wants to be able to play for national championships at the collegiate level. So he wasn't mm-hmm. going to sacrifice those opportunities just to play at Notre Dame. And that's what it came down to. If he had felt that he could not win a national championship one day at Notre Dame or that the Fighting Irish could not put him in a position to be a high-round NFL draft pick one day because that was Oklahoma's selling point, right? Is, hey, we got all these guys right now on our defensive line who are going to be NFL players Mm -hmm. one day. That's a very strong pitch to a guy like Tyson Ford, and that's, I think, part of the reason that he was committed and intended to go to Oklahoma. But once Marcus Freeman arrived on the scene, everything kind of shifted because, as we were just talking about, youth and relatability go a long way on the recruiting trail. And Marcus Freeman is a fiery guy, a guy that knows his stuff, has already demonstrated tremendous ability as a defensive coordinator and is one of the fastest rising coaching prospects in the collegiate game. He takes the job at Notre Dame. One of his first orders of business is to call Tyson Ford and start to work on him. And this is, I believe, if my timeline is correct here, this is no more than a week before Ford's commitment. (laughs) So this was last minute. This was a shot in the dark for Marcus Freeman and the Notre Dame staff. But you get a guy like Freeman who comes into a program with the history and the reputation that Notre Dame has and is committed to fixing the defensive issues that they have there and to helping the Irish rise from the cusp of legitimate national title contention to a perennial powerhouse, the likes of an Alabama and Clemson. All you got to do... You know, you get a kid like Ford that has a soft spot for Notre Dame. All you Mm got to do is sell him on the vision that, hey, you know, those championship teams that Notre Dame had back in the 50s, 60s, 70s, we can bring those back. All we got to do is tweak these couple little things, and that's what I'm here to do. And that's what Freeman told Ford. That's all he needed to tell him. And it all happened very quickly, just a few days before he was going to make the announcement. Ford decided, you know what? Got to say no to Oklahoma. I'm going to go to Notre Dame. And so legitimately, Brandon, and everybody listening, this was the kind of thing where, like I said, Tyson Ford was very staunch and very adamant that he was going to have his recruitment out of the way and done by January 18th, that his decision was going to be it. And he was not going to waver on that date. If he had set that date two weeks earlier, I think Oklahoma gets Ford. But because it fell on January 18th and because that left just that little window of time, about a week and a half, where Freeman could get to South Bend 
and start to get his own pieces in motion to go and get a guy like Ford. That's where you saw the shift. That's why you saw the change. And that's why in the last week of this recruitment, everything changed as drastically and as rapidly as it did. I'm telling you right now that, and I just yawned, Ooh, man, I'm telling you right now that um, everybody was blown away. Everybody was blown away. It caught everybody in Norman off guard from everything that I was told that they were just like, what in the hell is going on? It just completely threw everybody on another, on another just level of <laughs> confusion um, because they thought this thing was wrapped up. It was just going to be announced and just be over with. It was done. That was it. And um, I just remember calling you and you go, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> and I remember you called uh, uh, Tyson, talked to him for a bit and texted me back and he said, yep, he's going to Notre Dame. Um, and the reason I had that reaction, Brandon, was because the last conversation I had had with Tyson, uh, he had informed me that the communication with Notre Dame had dropped off. And that was literally the day before they hired Marcus Freeman. So at that point, my impression was, and it was right after that, that I officially issued the crystal ball because I figured, yeah. okay, well, if Notre Dame's out of the picture, it's got to be Oklahoma. And yeah. lo and behold, he goes in silent commits. But Last I had heard, Notre Dame was no longer seriously pursuing Ford. And, of course, it should have. What should have happened was I should have taken greater note of the fact that they hired Freeman and probably figured, okay, he's going to make a late push to bring mm -hmm. Ford back. But, yeah, it was, like you said, it was the kind of thing that just based on the circumstances and what we knew at the time kind of caught everybody off guard. But at the end of the day, you know, it, it makes sense to me in totality right. it makes a lot of sense and you're not gonna here's what i'll say about it when a guy very obviously wants to go to a particular school you don't really want to you don't you don't have to try that hard in nope. essence if you know the guy wants to come to your school you don't have to try that hard and so i think if clark lee had stayed around notre dame probably would have gotten forward but the fact that he left and the fact that there was that brief window of time where there was no defensive coordinator at Notre Dame, nobody to be the primary recruiter right. for Tyson Ford, that was that window where Oklahoma made the surge and it happened to coincide almost perfectly with his announcement. But Freeman got in there a week and a half before the announcement, got in there just in the nick of time to be able to change things just enough to bring Ford back to South Bend. Yeah, well, and and let's let's be honest. Oklahoma's not going to be hurting for twenty twenty two defensive linemen at all. No, at all. I mean, you like I talked to Gabe Dindy last night. His mom and dad obviously want him to make the right decision for him, but he grew up just a diehard Oklahoma fan, um, and he's the best defensive tackle in all of twenty two. They Oklahoma has another that a kid grew up a diehard Sooner fan down in the DFW area, so much so that his dad refuses to acknowledge Steve Sarkeesian in Texas and uh, Mario Bore. I thought it was, I mean, I text him and he go, I go, what do you think of the hire? And he goes verbatim. Yeah. I mean, I guess it was cool and we'll listen, but uh, I don't know that we'll be going to any games or anything like that. <laughs> I just started dying. I was like, what? Like you're so, he's so blunt about how they just do not want to have anything to do with it. And they call and can vouch for this. They just have this 
rage and disdain for the University of Texas that is not something. And you watch somehow Steve Carsey's, Steve Sarkeesian, and all those guys are going to somehow get in there and talk them into giving them a chance, which is what they should do with the talent with like Amaria Boer. There should be, they should be full court pressing him regardless of what they think of the University of Texas. Would you agree, Colin? Absolutely. And I think when it comes to all of this, whether it be Tyson Ford or Gabriel Brownlow-Dendy or Amaria Boer, at the end of the day, there are greater things going on than just the logic of it, right? Because talking about Texas guys and stuff, right? I get to so often inform people on our board that, hey, these guys like Texas a lot. And everyone will be like, why the hell does that make any sort of sense? Well, it doesn't have to. Because a lot of these kids grew up, like you mentioned, a fan of a school or program, or they idealize themselves in the uniform of that particular school. And that plays a major role in these recruitments. And it can be formed at times, whether that be Texas, like you're mentioning, trying to go all in on getting into the Amaria Boer race with a new staff, or take like an Ohio State, for example, that worked their way into the Quinn Ewers. Yeah, or Amaria Boer. I mean, crap, they're in yeah, they're head-to-head Ohio with State, Oklahoma. Ohio State has a chance to absolutely – clean house in 2022 yes. when it comes to Texas. And yes. that, that's the case across the board. But Ohio State's going to be a presence in the 2022 cycle, maybe more than ever before. And Quinn Ewers was just the beginning of that. But that's because the Buckeyes or the Notre Dame Fighting Irish or the Oklahoma Sooners, Texas Longhorns, they have this level of aura to them that mm-hmm. sometimes go beyond – what a lot of fans will see as simple X's and O's. And I think that's what played into the decision of one Tyson Ford. That's what will ultimately factor into the decisions of some of these top defensive linemen we're mentioning. And it's what goes into every recruitment. And it's something to keep in mind whenever you see situations like this play out. And I'll add one thing to that. I just talked to DJ Hicks, David Hicks out of Morton Ranch High and Katie yesterday. And I get the very strong sense that one of the schools among his eventual finalist will be Grambling State. Yeah. Why? Because his dad played there, and that's the school that he grew up rooting for. Now, that's an FCS school and a school that, you know, peripherally, you would look at the ranking that David Hicks yeah. will inevitably have, and you will say, okay, David Hicks is way out of Grambling State's league. But, folks... Lesson learned from the Tyson Ford situation, and believe me, this will work in Oklahoma's favor. I promise you, allegiances go a long way. Yeah, look at Overton. Look at look at Leviticus Overton or whatever is it Levi? Is that his first name? Leviticus Overton. Levi- Leviticus Overton. I always call him Leviticus for some other reason when I'm talking to people. Leviticus Overton. I mean, he's got just like Gabriel Brownlow Dindy, just deep, deep seated roots at the University of Oklahoma. Uh, not only did his dad play there, his dad was an administrator there as well. So, I mean, it's 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 like Oklahoma is getting very lucky with the deep-seated roots right now, especially on the front line on the defensive side of the ball. But you can have those deep-seated roots if you don't do the work and recruit properly. That means zero. It means jack crap. And those kids can go elsewhere. Amaria Boer could end up at Texas, even though they don't like the University of Texas, because Star- Sarkeesian and all them go in and, and somehow convince them that that's the best place for him. Or Ohio State and Ryan Day, who is 
the program that is head-to-head with Oklahoma right now for Amaria Four. It is Ohio State, Oklahoma. And it's probably Oklahoma with a slight lead there, but it's more of a 1A, 1B if I'm going to pick between Amaria Boer when it comes to Ohio State and Oklahoma. That's where it stands. And it was just Oklahoma at one point. That's how good Ohio State has been recruiting. And I'll add this too. It's interesting. Amaria Boer and I talked towards the beginning of this high school football season. And one of the schools he actually mentioned at the time was Washington. And as we know, yeah, Texas that's a good point. Very good point. Defensive coordinator. So strap in, ladies and gentlemen. This ride's not over yet. It's yeah. going to be as these things play out. Uh, how many? How many Oklahoma players from the state of Texas hated OU growing up? Tons of them. Exactly. That's why I say it's funny to hear the dad say all that. But in the end game, are they? Is it really going to be something that? that doesn't follow through. You know what I mean? Like, I, I just, I, I could see Texas just making a nice play here for a boar. Now, granted, they're going to compete with Jamar Kane, Alex Grinch, and Lincoln Riley. That's not going to be easy by any stretch of the imagination because those are the three best recruiters, three of the best recruiters on the Oklahoma staff. So um, you, you go up against Jamar Kane, you're going up against somebody that is, well-versed on the recruiting trail, and he's proven it with everything that he's done since he's arrived at Oklahoma. Um, Lastly, let's cover, uh, before we get out of here, Big Cat Bryant, Auburn defensive end transfer. We talked about it last night on the board. We don't want to get into too much detail, but we'll just say Oklahoma is back in this thing in a big way. Now, granted, he removed all of his stuff from as far as Tennessee goes off of his Twitter and all of his social media. Um... The the funny thing and ironic thing about all this is who Oklahoma is going up against of all teams, Auburn, the team that he's supposedly transferring from. <laughs> so, and with location being one of the main keys here, Oklahoma is in a dogfight. They are. They feel from everything I hear, they feel like they're in a prime position to land Bryant. But man, it's not going to be easy. Uh, Harson and and the guys at Auburn are they're they're putting on the full court press with Brian and trying to get him to come back and and finish out his career the place that he played the first four seasons. Um, I don't know that that's going to happen, uh, but um, I I'm unsure how all that plays out because he knows what he has at Auburn and that's kind of what Oklahoma's pushing like okay you've seen what what you could do at Auburn come here and try to win a title and look what we've done with Ronnie Perkins look at all the guys that we have it was like like Parker was saying with the Tyson Ford Oklahoma's pushing do you not see how many NFL guys we're about to produce here don't you want to be one of them and watch your NFL stock rise if you come to Norman so that's Oklahoma's push um what what are y'all what are y'all hearing what do y'all think uh, where do you think he's going to end up? I know, Parker, you got that crystal ball in for him. I do. I'm feeling good. And, you know, I've spoken to people close to the Auburn program who have said Oklahoma should feel very confident because, like you said, Big Cat knows what he's got at Auburn. Why not look elsewhere? And at the same time, uh, Harson and staff, I mean, brand new coming in, that's that's a blessing and a curse when you're talking about trying to bring a guy back from the transfer. Point, yeah. Right? It goes both ways. And so, especially with the fact that, uh, he deleted 
all of his Tennessee commitment tweets on social media virtually almost concurrently with the timetable that Oklahoma began to pick up the buzz. I'm really confident that the Sooners eventually land Big Cat Brian, and it would be a huge addition. And you talk about it's not as big a position of need. I want to go back to the position of need thing. It's not as big a position of need at center. It's not even really something you would technically term as a position of need because the Sooners have a ton of depth on the defensive line. But what did we find out from watching Oklahoma in 2020? Phenomenal defense starts with phenomenal play up front, and you get the opportunity to bring in a guy like Big Cat Bryant that can be an impact starter that was second-team All-SEC in 2020 that saw action for an SEC program on the defensive line as a true freshman and has seen significant playing time in each of his four seasons at Auburn. That's a guy you do not pass up. And so I get that the Sooners are very, very deep along the offensive line or along the defensive line, excuse me, but Big Cat Bryant is not somebody that you say no to. He's not somebody that you see in the transfer portal and you don't go after. And you know what? If they get Big Cat Bryant, what a feather in Jamar Kane's cap is that? (laughs) Because that guy, let me tell you, since he got to campus last January, since he joined the Oklahoma staff, he has done as good of a job on the recruiting trail as anybody, perhaps better. And if he's able to land a guy that was a two-year starter and a four-year contributor for an SEC defense in the transfer portal? How massive is that for Oklahoma and for Jamar Kane to be able to sell himself to future recruits down the line? I think it's another thing, too, when you talk about Jamar. He's been an outstanding addition in terms of recruiting, but he's also one hell of a football coach, right? Yeah. I mean, saw what he did this season in terms of helping Calvin Thibodeau build that defensive front into the production level it attained. And I think when you also talk about Big Cat, this guy has a ton of ability, right? But he is transferring out of that program because he needs to take his game to another level. And if you're Oklahoma, you can now sell to him that while Big 12 defenses in years past have been knocked on, now the Sooners feature one of the top units, not only in the conference, but in the country. And they have the coaches who can now put NFL talent into the league. And I think Jamar Kane is a main reason why Oklahoma can now put itself firmly in the race for a guy like Brian. The big thing here for me, and it was posed to me like this, if Harson is able to communicate an effective system and fit for Brian, things could turn rapidly. But right now, the regional bias is probably one of the few things that Auburn has going for it, right? And right. I think Oklahoma, if they can just jump that hurdle, it's a hurdle that they've tripped on a couple of times in the past when it comes to the regional issue with recruits, if they can get over it, man. I, I think Oklahoma is going to make a major addition here on the defensive line. He's a guy who steps right in for Ronnie Perkins. And we mentioned it towards the beginning of this podcast. The offensive line was dealing with an issue in terms of quantity, not necessarily quality, but you get a guy like Bryant where you maybe already have quality and quantity. You add more to that. I mean, that's what you have to have if you're going to win a national championship. And so every reason for Oklahoma to go after this guy, not necessarily anything completely done, but if they are able to win this battle, and I think they sit in a firm position, what a huge addition it would be for title hopes in 2021. No, I mean, look, real quickly, the defensive end position this year. Okay, last year they obviously they had Isaiah Thomas, Ronnie Perkins, Marcus Stripling, Reggie Grimes, uh, Noah Renze, 
uh, and Wete, right? That was your defensive ends. For Wete was both end and stand up outside linebacker. Outside linebacker, they had Benito, um, uh, Brendan Walker, uh, John Michael Terry, and Wete, right? Those were your stand up edge rushers. This year, at the defensive end spot, at the defensive end spot, you're going to have Isaiah Thomas, potentially Big Cat Bryant. Um, Marcus Stripling, Reggie Grimes, Ethan Downs. Uh, uh, who else am I missing here? Arenze and I think uh, NRK, Kabanje. Mm-hmm. So those are going to be your defensive ends. Now, Kabanje is going to, he's going to be a lot like Isaiah, where it's going to take two and three years for him to, you know, get his feet settled and really learn how to do things. I think Downs is probably going to contribute some as a freshman. Um, I think they expect Grimes to have a breakout year. They, I mean, people around the world think they think he is going to be a star. Um, Then at the edge rusher, you got Benito, you've got Brendan Walker, you got Clayton Smith, um, and you can move over. You wake boo if you have to. Um, You can move Caleb Kelly over there if you have to. I mean, they are just loaded, loaded at the defensive end and edge rushing spot. I mean, it's, it is sick how much talent Oklahoma has. I mean, you're talking about a lot of nothing but four and five stars just laced across that board. And when's the last time Oklahoma has been able to say that? It's been a long time. So you have to give props to Calvin Thibodeau and uh, Jamar Kane for what they produced at those spots here in the last couple of years. It's been impressive. And we didn't even talk about Winfrey and uh, Kelvin Gilliam and Josh Ellison and, and Jordan Kelly and Roberson and all those guys that are going to come back inside. And Isaiah Coe, I mean, it's, it's, it's just a defensive line that has a lot of NFL talent, as you guys have been talking about throughout this podcast. Um, real quickly, do y'all want to talk basketball or wait till the next podcast? could probably wait for that okay yeah we'll wait guys uh appreciate y'all coming on here if you're not a member of ouinsider.com uh you should be one dollar for the first month 9.95 afterwards or you can just sign up and get it for 75 dollars for a whole year i mean that's hardly anything in today's world um and you could get daily team and recruiting updates you're going to be on the inside track of all this transfer stuff the coaching changes that could potentially be happening down the road as other teams move their coaches in and out as well look for oklahoma guys to hire potentially or oklahoma may be hiring somebody else i mean who knows how all this stuff plays out but needless to say we try to be on top of it one way or the other on ou insider uh Colin has daily updates. Parker has daily updates. Joey Helmer has daily updates. I have daily updates. So the board, you can come join the other 15, 16 million page views that we get every month because it has been blowing up on OU Insider and come join the thousands and thousands of VIP members that have been uh, enjoying the content that we've been providing. So it's been a good time on OU Insider here the last couple months. Uh, We would love to have you guys. We love all the Oklahoma Center fans. Uh, we want to thank you all for listening to this podcast. Colin Parker, do you have anything else to say? Look forward right. to talking some basketball next time around. <laughs> yeah, finally. All this football news has been crazy here in the offseason. Um, yeah, so uh, thank you all so much for listening to the OU Insider Under the Visor podcast. You guys have a blessed day.